According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Luke 22. We'll spend the bulk of our time in Luke 22 tonight, or this morning. We're dealing with episodes 17 and 18 in uh, Jesus' final week of work at Jerusalem. I intended actually to print off some harmonies. Um, if you if you need a harmony, just shoot me an email. That's the easiest way to do it. And I'll send you the file and you can print it off yourself. Um, but episode 17 is preparation for the Passover. Where he tells his disciples, go on into town, meet a man at the gate. He's carrying a water pitcher. He'll take you to a house. And... Um, uh, give the challenge and password to the man that's inside there. Okay, the master has need of where is the room? The teacher has need of the, of a room to take Passover with his disciples, and uh, he will show you the upper room that has been prepared. So they have uh, it's a little bit of uh, cloak and dagger, don't you think? A little bit of espionage, some uh, spy type uh, thriller action there. There's a reason for that. Judas wants to betray him, and. Uh, what better place to betray him than in a private house uh, without witnesses around and uh, where he's boxed in. They've got the exits covered. They can send a team in there. Well, <laughs> Judas doesn't know where the dinner's going to be. Jesus doesn't know where the dinner's going to be. All right? The disciples don't know where the dinner's going to be. But if you, there's a man with a water pitcher hanging out by the gate, and when he sees uh, Peter and John, he's going to... Uh, you're not going to talk to him, not going to say a word to him, not going to even act like he saw him. He's just going to turn and walk towards the house. And uh, that's where uh, Peter and James are going to, or Peter and John are going to understand that the, the dinner is going to take place. Anyway, some of that kind of exciting. That's episode 17, preparation for the Passover. Episode 18 is actually the Passover itself. The Passover is eaten and the jealousy of the disciples. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Make sure we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Humble our hearts for the authority of doctrine. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I uh, took a mucinex this morning, so I don't know how this hour is going to go, but Father, I'm looking to you to give me a clear voice and uh, a wakeful mind, Father, and uh, allow for the Word of God to go forth today to be a benefit and a blessing for all who have assembled. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your Word. Thank you for this Life of Christ class for 365 hours of teaching, Father, and we continue to learn a little more here, a little more there, line upon line, precept upon precept. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Luke 22 has the longest account of any of these. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 19, details the preparation of the Passover, followed by verse 20, where the Passover is eaten. In Mark, you're looking at chapter 14, where verses 12 through 16 has the preparation uh, explanation. And uh, then verse 17 describes how they're eating the dinner. And in Luke, Luke 22, verses 7 through Really, 7 through 30, but there's a couple of gaps in there. Uh, 7 through 13 is where they receive the instruction. Uh, 14 through 16 and 24 through 30 is where they actually eat the dinner. And that's what we'll, uh, that's what we'll detail here today. So, picking up our reading here in Luke 22. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. All right? That's the plain language of the text, and it's in agreement with Matthew and Mark both. All three synoptic gospels are in agreement. And Jesus uh, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? He said to them, and here's the description of this. Uh, he doesn't know. This has been arranged, but it's been arranged where he doesn't know. His disciples don't know. Most importantly, Judas doesn't know. When you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, I don't say a word to the water pitcher guy, but when they enter in behind him, then they're going to be challenged by the owner of the house. You know, that makes sense. Somebody walks into your house and you're like, who are you? Okay. Because, uh, now think about it. This owner doesn't know who they are either. 
This is part of the compartmentalization that you do in uh, espionage-type activities. Um, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, uh, prepare it there. And so this is the, uh, the procedure that's uh, put into place here that will allow for uh, the uh, upper room discourse to be delivered, for the communion service to be delivered, for foot washing, for all the things that happen there in that upper room. And they uh, are allowed to happen in security and in privacy. Uh, you understand, and, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with that when he tells Judas to go out and what you do, do quickly. By that point of time, it's too late to set up any kind of ambush in the house, and so the best that Judas can do is say, well, this is where they're having their dinner. When they leave there, this is the garden they're going to go to to pray. So uh, they understand that the garden is the one that's, uh, you know, what he's a cut. We'll talk about that when we get to Gethsemane, how it is that Jesus was accustomed to praying there and uh, how it is that Judas understood that that was exactly where uh, the betrayal could take place. All right. Then uh, after verse 13, notice we have a, a uh, section in verses 14 and following uh, where he's reclining at the table, his, his apostles with him in 14 through 16. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And this matches up with the single verse we have in Matthew, the single verse we have in, in Mark. It's a bit more comprehensive than either of those two records. But then it is important, though, that we skip over verses 17 through 23. The order here in Luke is not the best order that we want to deal with as we harmonize um, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not to say that Luke is wrong for recording the events in this order. There's nothing wrong with, with narrating the story of that night in, a, in an imprecise fashion. Um, this is why we do the, the harmonization that we do to correlate the, the parallel records. And so the, um, the communion service here that's uh, given in 17 through 23 is going to uh, and the, uh, the um, promise of the betrayal here will come up in later uh, studies. But then verse 24, there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. And so there's a pattern here. And of course, what goes with this teaching is the foot washing episode that we're going to study out of John chapter 13. This message uh, just leads right into that perfectly. And so as we harmonize these things, I think uh, we've got a pretty, pretty good order to uh, put them in. So in the outline last week, we gave you main point one, an unnamed water carrier and an unnamed house owner lead Peter and John to the most famous upper room in the history of the world. You know, what other famous upper rooms are there? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Daniel had a famous upper room uh, where he would open his window and pray towards Jerusalem. And uh, Eutychus fell out of an upper room and died and, and uh, Paul had to bring him back. Uh, there was an... I'm sorry? There was a widow, uh, or there was, yeah, there was an upper room prepared to, for, as hospitality for Elisha, right? Probably some others. Um, Rapunzel. Okay, I'm, <laughs> that's not Bible. All right. But clearly, in all the upper rooms that have ever been mentioned, um, this message that he delivers in John 13 through 17 five whole chapters of, uh, of narrative that the Lord delivers that relate directly to the coming church age is, uh, is, is an awesome section of Scripture. And then, the, uh, like I say, the foot washing, the communion service being instituted here, um, the, uh, the betrayal, the willingness to be betrayed, the order, what you do, do quickly. And, uh, and all of this. So we're going to be, uh, be in this upper room for several weeks. Um, we have the Passover that's going to be observed. That's... Uh, Episode 17 and 18. By the way, J-F-W-O-W stands for Jesus' Final Week of Work at Jerusalem. Okay. Also, K-Y-A-O 
means keep your armor on. If I text you with that, now you'll know what it means. All right, J-F-W-O-W at J is Jesus' final week of work in Jerusalem. Episode 17 and 18, that's where we are today. This is our present study. Passover will be observed. Secondly, foot washing will be demonstrated. We'll cover that next. That's episode 19. That comes out of John chapter 13. It's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But it takes place here in the same upper room that we're looking at today. C, subpoint C, the betrayer will be exposed and expelled. He will be exposed and expelled. And he says, the one whom dipped the bread with me, the morsel with me. And this is his exposure. And, uh, of course, in the process of the dinner and everybody moving around and sitting in different places and talking and all the, the, the long process of this night, um, no one saw. This is how I envision it anyway. Well, we'll teach this. We'll have some fun with this. Um, but you ever, uh, you know dip your chip in, in there at the same time somebody else is trying to dip their chip in there and, 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 and they were faster than you and they got to the salsa and all you did was break your chip on the side of the, on the, side of the dish. All right. Now, let's say that happened at some point in the evening and then a couple hours later, you say, the one who dipped his hand with me in the, in the thing. Um, now, who's gonna, who will have observed that? Would Peter have spotted that? Would John have spotted that? Who would have spotted it? It was Judas is the one who did it. See. And so this exposure, we'll, we'll detail this at some length. But I'm, the more I, I chew on this, and I've thought about this for years and years, um, the exposure here, only Judas knew it was him. And, and, and Judas knew he was busted. That's the point. <laughs> you know, he knew he was a betrayer. He knew that for a couple of days now. He knew, he knew that since Wednesday. He, cl- he already collected the 30 pieces of silver. But when Jesus said, the one who dipped with me, now Judas knows, man, I'm busted. He knows it's me. He knows what's going on. Like, how do you betray a prophet anyway, right? So um, we're going to study this because I, I relate this. I think this is a confession opportunity. This is, this is the final opportunity for, for Judas to just repent to surrender to fall on his face to get saved right and he doesn't so what you do do quickly i see so much grace and mercy i see so much compassion it's like uh, when the lord comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day and says adam where are you have you eaten from the tree and he's not he's not ignorant he's not asking questions to try to figure something out he didn't know he knows it all but when he asks the question, where are you and well, what have you done and have you eaten? What he's looking for is for Adam to confess, right? To simply lay it all out there, to be David-like, to say, it's me, I did it, okay? Of course, Adam didn't do that and uh, Cain doesn't do that. The Lord goes to Cain the same way. Where's your brother? It's a confession opportunity. And here, uh, Jesus, when he says, you know, the one who dipped his hand with me, that's the, I just see so much grace and compassion with that. Anyway, well, that's coming up in, in uh, episode 20 and 21. 20 is where the betrayer is exposed. 21 is where he is expelled. And I uh, will, in all likelihood, combine those into a single development like we're doing here with 17 and 18. Also, communion will be introduced. Communion will be introduced. This is uh, episode 22. And this is going to be critical for us for a lot of reasons. Not that you don't understand communion. I think we all do. But, but how is it that a church age ritual can be uh, revealed prior to mystery doctrine being revealed? If the church is a mystery, then how is it here that communion is being taught? How is it that we have information for the church given in the Gospel of John? Right? Because we're, we're, we very commonly say, well... Um, the church begins at, at uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Anything prior to Acts chapter 2 is Israel. See? So from Genesis 12 to Acts chapter 1, you have the dispensation of Israel. The call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? And, and the whole Old Testament, except for the first 11 chapters, is the dispensation of Israel. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the dispensation of Israel. Acts chapter 1 is the dispensation of Israel. It's not until Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost, a new age is, uh, is unfolded. So we're going to do some work with that because it's important that we identify that the text itself gives us the reason to take this as something other than an Israel application. 
And why is it we can take chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17? Why is it that that upper room discourse is church-focused, not Israel-focused? And um, we better be ready to give an answer for that because then we have to defend why Matthew 24 is not church-focused, right? Because you'll get some mid-tribbers and some other folks that try to find a rapture in, uh, in Matthew 24. With one will be taken, one will be left, right? Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And, and you've got to stop them and say, no, no, that's the Mount Olivet Discourse. That's Israel. But the upper room discourse is for the church. And if you're not equipped to describe that and defend that, uh, you're going to be in for some long uh, coffee shop debates. Finally, a critical discourse will be delivered in the real Lord's Prayer. John 17, I call the real Lord's Prayer. A critical discourse will be delivered and the real Lord's Prayer will be offered to the Father. This is episode 23, Jesus' final week of work at Jerusalem, episode 23. And basically it's chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's the discourse that follows the, um, the foot washing illustration and the communion service um, introduction. So, that, so uh, anyway, this gives you the idea, even without a harmony in hand, uh, for where the next uh, six or seven um, episodes are going to all take place right here in this room, this upper room. All right, now secondly, Jesus and his disciples observed the final Passover of his first advent. Jesus and his disciples observed the final Passover of his first advent. And uh, all three synoptic gospels call it a Passover. Um, there will be people who will say it's not a Passover. It's a Passover-like dinner um, because it's a day early in some people's mind. And uh, we're gonna, that's what we're going to spend our time today in detailing for you. Old Testament, uh, so point A, Old Testament background on Passover and unleavened bread is important to review. We did this last week. I used the text uh, from R.A. Torrey's new topical textbook. Um, Exodus 12 is where Passover is introduced on the night of the 10th and final plague on Egypt, uh, the death of the firstborn and the provision God made so that Israel might not suffer the death of the firstborn. A substitute was provided. A substitute lamb was provided so that the angel of, of death would pass over and not strike the firstborn. And all of the theology and all of the doctrine that goes into that. And we covered, we, we didn't cover all of this, but the, um, I think we covered enough of it to where we can move on. And if you want more on that, uh, Grace Notes has material and uh, we can recommend other Bible dictionary type resources. Some of the most famous celebrations of Passover include the, their very first one, the, the night they left Egypt in Exodus 12, uh, one in the wilderness of Sinai in Numbers chapter 9. Uh, entering the land of promise in Joshua chapter 5, a very famous uh, Passover in Hezekiah's reign, Second Chronicles 30, also in Josiah's reign. You know, uh, there'd been a time where they even lost their Old Testament. <laughs> and so, wow, they find a copy of the law again in the temple, and hmm, this Passover seems kind of important. Maybe we should start observing it again. You think? And then uh, they came back from the Babylonian captivity. There's a famous Passover there in Ezra chapter 6. And then uh, this one here, before the death of Christ, Luke chapter 22 and verse 15. And, uh, you know, of all of those, uh, to me, this one is the most famous. And uh, because it's followed immediately the next day, not only by, you know, so you have the, the typology on this Thursday night, and then the very next morning is, uh, is when our Savior is going to be hung on a cross. And uh, so you have the shadow and you have the fulfillment. You have the typology and the anti-type. Uh, on back-to-back -back days. All right. People of Jerusalem uh, lent their rooms to strangers. Uh, yeah, the, the town would be packed because this was one of the three times a year that people had to come in to the uh, boundaries. Um, they could not be outside of the temple precincts uh, or they would violate the Sabbath day's journey restrictions and things of that nature. Um, this was a Roman custom that uh, Pontius Pilate developed of releasing a prisoner. It was just kind of a way to try to make the Jews happy and hate him a little bit less. 
And um, we'll see that because he thinks that's his uh, escape ticket to keep from crucifying Christ. He thinks that, hey, I know, we'll, we'll make Jesus the, the Passover prisoner that gets released. And uh, instead they want Barabbas, and we know how that story goes. All right, the day before the Sabbath is called the day of preparation. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, the doctrine that comes to this, it's illustrative of redemption through Christ, that Christ is our Passover. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 and 8, uh, where we're told, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. When we taught this in 1 Corinthians, we learned how to be lumps. All right, we want to be a new lump with no leaven. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So don't just dismiss Passover saying, well, it was a Jewish ritual, it doesn't really apply today, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it does. 1 Corinthians 15 makes that very clear. It apply, or chapter 5 makes that very clear. It applies today. The pattern of unleavened and the pattern of holiness, the pattern here, is a church age application in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have our own doctrine to apply as it relates to this. All right. Point B. Jesus had previously observed several Passover feasts. Uh, Jesus had previously observed Passover several times. And for this, we're very blessed to have the Gospel of John in our Bibles. John 2.13, John 5.1, John 6.4, and John 11.55. Notice uh, these are all in the Gospel of John. Um, you're not going to get this detail in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Jesus had previously observed Passover several times. Most often in Jerusalem, one time not in Jerusalem. And that's extraordinary. These passages in John are vital for all life of Christ chronological studies. In fact, it's the Gospel of John that allows us to chart out the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ because of the references to these Passovers. If, if we didn't have the Gospel of John, and, and you understand, for decades in the first century, they, all they had was the synoptics. John didn't start writing until, until uh, later in the first century. Uh, if all you have are the synoptic gospels, you have no clue that the ministry of Christ was more than about a year in total length. But because of the Gospel of John and the repeated reference, the periodical references to these Passovers, um, we have a clearer picture. I think we've got a very clear picture of the, uh, of the situation. All right, John 2.13, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is after he turns water to wine. This is in the first year of his ministry. This is uh, pretty quickly right after his uh, baptism at the River Jordan. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, this one is actually debatable. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And, and technically, this one does not use the term Passover. It just says a feast of the Jews. And it could be booths. It could be Pentecost. It could be Passover. Any of the three major ones. It could have been one of the minor ones. It doesn't say. But it is usually thought of by most conservative scholars as a Passover. It, it is consistent with when you chart out the events uh, in between the last Passover and the next Passover, it, it charts out pretty well and it shows an equal distribution and balance and um, seems to be, and I think it's a, it's a Passover. And uh, if you go with a three and a half year uh, ministry, then it is a Passover. <clears throat> Otherwise, you've got a two and a half year ministry and uh, you make the adjustments accordingly. Uh, regardless of, of where you start, you're going to end with Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D., so does his ministry start in 30 or does it start in 31? Well, it depends on whether this is a Passover or not. All right. Then in chapter 6, it's not debatable. It is a Passover. But the contrast here in 6.4, this he was saying to test him for, whoops, verse 4, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. It's the same language there. Uh, the Feast of the Jews that we have in chapter 5, but we do have the term Passover there. Now, what makes this one remarkable is this is the one a year before the cross. This is the one he does not go to Jerusalem for. He's across the, the Sea of Galilee. He's up on a mountain. He's going to feed 5,000 up there. All right. And um, 
Doug, we've had... Oh, never mind. Okay. Uh, so he does not go to Jerusalem for this one. It's extraordinary. And, and he's commanded to. Mosaic law says three times a year every male must, but he does not go. All right? So that's, that's unbelievable, which also leads then following when you get into chapter 7, uh, that fall in the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, there's a lot of wonderment. Is, is Jesus going to come to this? He skipped Passover. Is, uh, is Jesus going to come to the Feast of Booths? And um, his brothers are encouraging him to go up to the Feast of Booths. He says, no, I'm not going to go up. And he goes up secretly, uh, you know, uh, after they go up. And uh, there's a lot of wonderment among the crowd. Why isn't he here? Why did he not come at Passover? And uh, by the time you get into chapter 7, you're in the fall, just six months out from his, uh, his crucifixion. And then where we are here in John 11:55, the fourth uh, reference to Passover in the Gospel of John. The Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And uh, actually, it was a good strategy to arrive early enough to not only find a place of residency, uh, but also to um, go through the ritual purification necessary. Because in your travels, you undoubtedly um, became ritually, ceremonially impure, uh, touching the wrong thing or crossing uh, something or anything of that nature. So... Arriving early and uh, being purified before Passover was always a very smart thing. You see in 12.1 there of John, uh, six days before Passover, uh, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was. And so from that time forward, uh, he's been residing there in Bethany. Bethany is on the, the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives, but it was within the expanded boundaries of what was considered approved for uh, Passover observance, for uh, not violating the Sabbath day's journey restrictions all right now a problem point c a problem arises with the priests passover observance on the following day i think if if we're very thankful that we have the gospel of john for all those passover references (laughs) we then have to turn to john 18 and say thanks a lot john we're not so thankful that he left us this puzzle that he left us in John 18. Um, Because in the synoptics, it's pretty clear. It's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is the Passover. It's the day that the lambs are slain. They're in the upper room that evening. They're eating the Passover lamb. What's the big deal? It's a no-brainer. It's Passover. Got it. But in John 18, we read... In verse 28, this is where he's, this is now Friday. This is, he's, he's going through his various trials. Peter's denying him and, and uh, all these things are going on. And in verse 28, it says, They led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium. All right. And I think the, uh, the, the movie's a little bit off on that when they show them all standing inside that courtyard and, and haranguing and whatnot. Uh, I think that they did not go into that praetorium. I think that courtyard where they visualized all the priests standing there, um, I don't I think that violates this verse here. But uh, they did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. They, might, they would not be defiled. See, if they went into the Gentile territory, if they entered into the Roman praetorium, they themselves would then be ceremonially unclean and they would be unable to eat the passover right so and that's a problem you know we want to stay ceremonially clean never mind the murder we're doing but we want to <laughs> we want to stay ceremonially clean so that we can be righteously do-gooders as we eat our passover dinner but now all of a sudden the smart bible students scratch their heads and say wait a minute why didn't they eat passover last night Jesus and the disciples ate Passover last night. You know, these guys are a day late. What, are they stupid? You know, do they miss it on the calendar? What's up? <laughs> so here is the puzzle. <clears throat> uh, because it's undeniable. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all very explicit three times over that they partook of Passover that night. 
And so if you're reading a, a commentary where they try to convince you that, well, it wasn't exactly a Passover. It was a Passover type dinner. It was a it was a it was a Galilean custom kind of a dinner. Um, they're, they're just making excuses. All right. So quite clearly, they did not enter the praetorium so that, purpose clause, they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. And, and uh, also, too, after they get him killed, uh, they have to bring him down uh, before the sun sets. Uh, they have to get him off the cross and get him buried again because of this being the Passover, being the Sabbath. Uh, they could not leave him hung up uh, past sundown. And uh, they, they wanted to have him buried and this business done with so they could go home and partake of Passover. Now. Um, harmonizations of this discrepancy are presented thoroughly by Harold Honer, and I've recommended this over the years in several different contexts, uh, chronological aspects of the life of Christ. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's fairly modest price. Uh, you can get it on your Kindle now. They've got different editions of it that are available. I bought, I, I forget how many copies of this I've bought and given away. I think my last copy I shipped into the prison, and now it, uh, Robert read it, and now it's part of the, the Huntsville uh, chapel library so uh, i have it on logos so i don't know that i'm going to actually buy another physical copy again but it's um it's very worthwhile for a lot of things there are about six different studies throughout and uh, including the 70 weeks of daniel chapter 9 including the year of christ's birth including the year of christ's death the day of christ's death um all these different uh, studies and the one that we want to look at now this uh harmonization how do we hold that the synoptics are true matthew mark and luke are the synoptic gospels and they are true and john is true okay because when you track all the harmonizations and they've been doing this since the church fathers the medieval romans the 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 uh, uh reformers and and on into modern times there have been no there's no shortage of attempts to to harmonize this issue it's one of the, the most famous puzzles in the whole gospel uh, harmonization process um, and so there's no shortage of issues but you can basically classify them into different categories there are those that will say well the synoptics are right john is wrong okay and that's their basic approach the synoptics are right uh, Thursday was Nissan 14. Thursday was Passover. Uh, John got a detail wrong and it was just uh, inaccurate in what he wrote. Okay. Well, that's a problem if you believe that God uh, composed uh, a, a wrong Bible, right? Or made a mistake or lied or, or said something inaccurate in what he, what he composed. Then, of course, the opposite is also defended by some folks that say John was right because John was the one that was more careful to mark all the various Passovers. And uh, John was right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all got it wrong. And they'll tend to say Mark got it wrong and Matthew and Luke were copying Mark. <laughs> okay? Doesn't matter. If there's a mistake in your Bible, then we don't have a perfect revelation from a perfect God. Okay? And so... Our fundamental f philosophy of hermeneutics is God says what he means to say, and God is not a liar. God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And so it is unacceptable to say that it's an either or. We have to embrace a both and. The, the, both the synoptics are correct and John is correct. So Jesus and his disciples had Passover on Thursday, and these priests here... Don't have Passover until Friday. And we just have to deal with it and ask ourselves, how might that happen? Is it even possible that it could have happened? Well, of course, it's possible. Jesus said it happened. So let's uh, let's break this down. Um, the best harmonizations are, of course, that both are true. And uh, and then given that both are true, then how do we reconcile and how do we uphold both being true? And there's about three different ways that people try to do that. Uh, Harold's is the best. And uh, so that's what I'm going to share with you today. All right. Now, this follows, um, like I say, there's there's lots of previous studies before you get to this point. Having concluded that Friday was the day of Christ's crucifixion, it is now the place to discuss the days of the month on which Christ ate the last Passover and was crucified. So in the articles prior to this, 
uh, he explores the different thoughts of the Wednesday crucifixion, the Thursday crucifixion, the Friday crucifixion, the three dominant traditions and, and concepts. Uh, and that's a, that's a puzzle to try to figure out uh, how three days and three nights can fit into on the third day he rose from the dead without either getting a fourth night in there somehow or without only uh, if without uh, having only two nights, Friday night and Saturday night. And because Sunday morning, then he's he's out of the grave. And some people hate the fact that there's only Friday night and Saturday night and, uh, and he's out of the grave Sunday morning. And they say, well, that, that can't be right. We'll talk about that when we get to Easter Sunday. Now, and I'm going to use the same article. I'm going to use Harold Honer to, uh, to demonstrate because it's the finest chronology I've ever encountered. Uh, so concluding that Friday was the day of Christ's crucifixion, it is now the place to discuss the day of the month on which Christ ate the last Passover and was crucified. And you would have to do this exercise anyway. Even if you held to a Wednesday crucifixion, a Thursday crucifixion, it doesn't matter. Whatever day you hold to, you would still have to reconcile how it is when the Passover is commanded to be observed on Nisan 14. How is it that some people can do that on one day of the week and other people can do that the next day of the week? Whatever those days might be. Nisan 14 is only one day of the week. And the next day would be Nisan 15. So either somebody ate it on the 14th and somebody ate it on the 15th or somebody ate it a day early on the 13th and somebody ate it on the right day on the 14th. And there are people that think that Jesus and the disciples had it a day early. And that was part of their tactic to try to keep, um, you know, the, the betrayer off guard and, and, um, and so forth. You just show up for Passover a day early and no one suspects that. Okay. Well, the record in Matthew, Mark, Luke doesn't say it's a day early. It says they ate the Passover, and there's no indication that it was uh, on any date other than the proper date for the Passover. So here's the problem. All the Gospels state that Jesus ate the Last Supper the day before his crucifixion. And we've looked at these already. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. Also, John 13, too. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end during supper. Okay. So in context, that has to be the Passover mentioned in verse 1. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him two days prior, he, he collected his 30 uh, pieces of silver. Actually, one day prior on Wednesday night, he collected his 30 pieces of silver. So... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all in agreement. This is Passover. That's John in chapter 12. But then John in chapter 18, talking about these priests, they want to hurry home on Friday and eat the Passover on Friday. So maybe the priests are just clueless. Maybe the priests missed out yesterday for whatever reason. Okay. Maybe they, uh, they were defiled yesterday and this is their makeup day. Okay. And there is provision for that, but generally it's a month later, not a day later. Now, uh, and then 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and the record uh, there of his Passover dinner. However, according to Mark fourteen twelve, the Last Supper was on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. All right, when the disciples went and made uh, preparation for Jesus to eat the Passover, so. If uh, you've been taught, uh, and you have, because I know I've said it, maybe other pastors have taught you that at the moment that Jesus was hanging on the cross, that was the time when the lambs, the real, the other Passover lambs were being slaughtered. Okay. He was our Christ. Our Passover was on the cross when the Passover lambs are being slaughtered, which means that the dinner they had the night before would have been a day too early and those lambs wouldn't have been slaughtered yet. So how did they get their own lamb? Did they, you know, they slaughter it themselves? They weren't allowed to. You had to go to the temple and get a ritually slaughtered USDA, grade A approved, uh, not USDA, Pharisee DA approved paschal lamb. Only the ones that were butchered there. And they, and they, they were raised in particular fields near Bethlehem and they were fed in particular ways. They were brought to Jerusalem at particular times. They were set apart on the previous Monday and they were butchered on that uh, on that Friday. 
So how did they get one on Thursday? That's a puzzle. All right. Um, the other two synoptics, Matthew and Luke, state essentially the same thing. Therefore, the synoptics portray the Last Supper was the Passover meal, celebrated on Thursday evening, and that Jesus was crucified the following day, namely Friday, Nisan 15. All right. Friday, Nisan 15. And these are, these are acceptable dates. On the other hand, John states that the Jews who took Jesus to the praetorium did not enter it in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. John 18, 28. Again, they would not be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They did not eat it the night before when Jesus and his disciples ate it. So how do you balance? How do you reconcile that? This means that Jesus was tried and crucified before the time the Jews had the Passover. This is substantiated in John 19, 14. Um, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was uh, the day of preparation for the Passover. And it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. So it's the day of preparation for the Passover. Hmm. Okay. Well, that matches with chapter 18. Okay, it's the day of preparation. Well, then how did they get their Passover last night? So, uh, John 18 is substantiated with John 19, where it states that his trial and crucifixion were on the day of preparation for the Passover and not after eating the Passover. Therefore, it appears that Jesus' last supper, which occurred on Thursday night, was not a Passover and that Jesus was tried and crucified on Friday, Nisan 14, just before eating the eating of the Passover. And this is substantiated by Paul when he mentions that Christ, our Passover, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed, as well as the Gospel of Peter. It says that Jesus was uh, delivered over to the people on the day before the unleavened bread, their feast. And by the Babylonian Talmud, uh, which probably pr- refers to Christ. I don't think it's even probable. I think it's definite um, in the Babylonian Talmud when it says that on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu the Nazarene was hanged. All right. Lots of debates there why they use the term hanged instead of crucified, but that's what it is now um so we've got biblical passages like john we've got secular history and unbiblical passages like the babylonian talmud and the uh the, the gospel of peter is an apocryphal work um so it's not bible but it is an early document okay so therefore, the synoptics see Jesus celebrating the Last Supper as a Passover meal on Thursday, Nisan 14, with a trial and crucifixion on Friday, Nisan 15. Whereas John, in the Last Supper, was not a Passover meal, celebrated on Thursday, Nisan 13, with the trial and crucifixion on Friday, Nisan 14. Christ then was crucified at the same time as the Paschal lambs were slain. All right, so have I described the problem well enough? And you understand, all right, now what's the, what's the answer? <laughs> how, do, how, do, how do you fix this? All right. The instructions for the Passover were given at the time they left Egypt. We were in Exodus 12 last week. We'll go back. Also, uh, a lot of procedures spelled out. Leviticus 23, Numbers 9, Deuteronomy 16. On the 10th day of the first month, a month that came to be known as Nisan after the Babylonian captivity, uh, on the 10th day of the first month, a lamb was selected for each household. And that could be in March or April, depending on the year, because uh, it was a lunar calendar and it was based on uh, the, uh, the, the full moon after the vernal equinox kind of a thing. That's why it's sometimes March, sometimes April, and it floats from year to year. But on the 10th day of the first month, the lamb was selected for each household. On Nisan 14, the lamb was slain between the two evenings. Now, that idiom has more discussion than anything else you'll ever want to read in a, in a theological journal. Between the two evenings. What's that? All right. There's evening and there's morning one day. What's between the two evenings? Which, according to Josephus, was between the ninth and the eleventh hour. Uh, That is from 3 to 5 p.m. So, in other words, at a point where the sun begins to dip and at a point before twilight and sunset and so forth, that this was an idiom. And uh, the citation from Josephus, um, The Wars of the Jews, book 6 you want to track that down. Uh, so from 3 to 5 p.m., 
Then that night, the Passover meal was eaten. Remember, uh, if, if they were all slain in the afternoon, then that meant that the worshipers could take their lambs back to their homes and uh, prepare the other items, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, the wine, uh, the other things that had to be prepared in the home. Um, and then uh, that night, they would eat the meal. And, and nothing could be left over till morning. It had to be eaten that night. It was an evening meal. Now... I don't think it's debatable, and I agree with Honer, the Last Supper was a Passover. In the attempt to solve the dilemma, one must first settle whether or not the Last Supper was a Passover. Many believe that it was a Passover meal, and then uh, these scholars list the following arguments that it was a Passover meal. And I don't need to read anything past number one. Uh, the Bible says it was a Passover meal. Okay? But then there's two, three, four, and five, and six, seven, eight. Oh my goodness. Fourteen different reasons why. It was a Passover meal. These arguments are very forceful and seem to make good sense. But then there are those who defend that the Last Supper was not a Passover. There are some scholars who think that it was not a Passover. And they raise the following objections. And basically, uh, you know, John's order of event seems to say that it was a day early. And um, they got some other things. Uh, but they, um, there's weaknesses in those approaches. And I'm going to skip this because this is pretty not convincing. He does a good job to, to spell these things out. Um, a number of events that happened the day after the Lord's Supper were forbidden on a feast day, such as leaving Jerusalem to go to Gethsemane, carrying of arms, the uh, uh, Simon coming in from the fields to, that's impressed upon to carry the cross, different things. All right. Those who conclude that the Last Supper was not the Passover have difficulty trying to identify, well, what was it then? <laughs> if it wasn't a Passover, it seems to be something special. What was it then? And, uh, and there have been two suggestions. And uh, calling it a kadush, a sanctification ceremony. Um, and then another suggestion that it was called a habura meal. Anyway, those uh, Habura meals were exclusively duty meals, such as those connected with betrothals, weddings, circumcisions, funerals, in which uh, participation as a paying guest was considered meritorious. <laughs> Certainly that's not the picture of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper there. All right. Now, how to solve it. As I said, some say, well, the synoptics are right and John was wrong. Others go the other way. Here's the best way to solve it. Uh, a fourth solution is needed, namely that both the synoptics and John are correct. Again, various attempts have been made here. Some think that Jesus anticipated that he was going to be killed at the Passover season. So with his disciples, he had his own private Passover a day early. And this is the private Passover view. It was a Passover, but Jesus just made an exception and did it one day early. Like he made an exception the year prior by not going to Jerusalem. He went to the Mount of and fed 5,000. And so he's free to make exceptions. And, uh, and there you go. Uh, it's not likely. Honer says it's impossible since the Passover lamb had to be slaughtered uh, within the temple precincts. Uh, none of the officials would have done this for that would have been against regulations. Hence, Christ and the disciples would not have had a Passover lamb for the Passover meal. And um, so forth. Then there's another theory uh, put forward by these guys uh, that Jesus' Last Supper was a Passover meal, but it followed the Qumran calendar. That he followed the Qumran calendar. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were located. It, the community at Qumran. They were uh, they were an ascetic community. They were, uh, you know, um, oh, how do I describe them? Communal, okay. Um, Hippie? No, not fair to say they were hippies. They were, but they were communal. They were uh, holy. They were, they were set apart, kind of a thing. And they did have a different calendar. Uh, and um, on the Qumran calendar that uh, he would have celebrated on Tuesday of the Passion Week. Uh, problem with that though is that it's pretty clear that he was crucified on Friday and that they had the dinner the night before. And so you really have to. You really have to uh, monkey with it to have him observing a Qumran Passover on Tuesday. And, uh, and there's no indication that he followed the Qumran calendar, that he even had any dealings with the Qumran community. 
Third, uh, some think that the Jews in Jesus' day celebrated the Passover on two consecutive days. And uh, Cholson is the author here, assumes that the, the Paschal lambs were slain between the two evenings on Nisan 14, as commanded in the Old Testament. And uh, since in the year in which Jesus died, Nisan 14 was a Friday, and since not all Paschal lambs could be slain before the Sabbath began, they were slain on Thursday evening and uh, so forth. Anyway, this is his theory. Um, the problem is, is that we don't have any historical record of, of this, that they allowed for an early Passover on the 13th when the law said on the 14th. Some other things there. They're actually, this is probably the most common harmonization and, and more authors than not have gone to this, um, gone to this two-day system because it just so happened that the, the Nissan 14 falls on a Friday so uh, with, with the Sabbath on Saturday, so they got a double-day thing and they just have to have two days for slaughtering the animals. The um, main problem is that it uh, rests on conjecture and uh, different things there. Let me get down to the final answer. Finally, one should consider that there are different ways to reckon a day. This is a puzzling problem that has set many pens into motion. It is beyond the scope of this article to go into a lengthy discussion, uh, but we can understand that sometimes in the Bible, the day is counted from sundown to sundown, right? But not always, not always. Plenty of times in the Bible, it's counted from sunup to sunup. And that at dawn, it's the new day. And um, so, and, and that's not just uh, making excuses for things. This is how the Bible does it. Also, sometimes something will be described in the Bible as happening in the evening after the sun has gone down. And then the next morning, it's said to be the next day. At which point some, you know, pointy-eared rabbi would stop and say, ooh, 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 wait a minute, it's the same day because sun already went down. Okay, Technically, that rabbi would be right. It is the same day. But in common usage, it's the next day because you went to bed, you slept, you woke up, it's the next day. And this is not just normal daily life that we're, we're, we sleep at night and we wake up to a new day. It's The Bible uses these terms as well. So... Um, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which runs from evening to evening of Nisan 14 to the evening of De Nisan 21. This is also true of the Day of Atonement, the weekly Sabbath. And when there is a single day's ceremonial uncleanness, it ends at the evening. So if you're unclean for a day, that might only be a couple of hours until the sun goes down. Because at sundown, it's a new day and you're no longer ceremonially unclean. You can go to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and read up on that. The order in which the evening and morning is listed would indicate the days begin with sunset. And so you've got all these passages where it says there's evening and morning, one day, evening and morning, one day. But there's also the reckoning from sunrise to sunrise, which is biblical and normal. Now, there is a theory that says that, that the Jews reckoned from morning to morning before the exile and evening to evening after the exile. And that theory gained some traction for a while, but it's been discredited. No one, we got examples of both kinds of day reckonings before the exile and the same after the exile. So that's, uh, that's not an appropriate approach. Uh, there are references where day is listed before night, like Genesis 1.14, uh, to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Verse 16 uh, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. So it's not always night and day in that order. Quite often it's day and night in that order. So let's relax about the order on things. And all of these references here all have day prior to night throughout the Old Testament and New Testament both. Also, when referring to the same day or the next day, it has reference to the night being the first day and not the beginning of a new day. So, um, Genesis 19.34, on the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I, I slept with dad last night. Okay? You know, this terrible passage with Lot and his daughters. Uh, that's the following day. 1 Samuel 19.11, another example. 
Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So it's tomorrow, even though it's past sundown already. They're in bed. He's going to have to, to sneak out of a window before morning. And that's called the next day. That's called tomorrow. And so the whole thing about today and tomorrow follows a sunrise to sunrise structure like you and I are accustomed to uh, in our uh, Roman calendar that we follow. So both were used in the Bible. Both systems were used in the Old Testament. Both systems were used in the New Testament. Both systems were used before the captivity and after the captivity. Both systems were used sometimes by the same author, even in the same book. Which then takes us back to this Passover on Jesus' day. As indicated above, the Passover could be reckoned from sunset to sunset or sunrise to sunrise. And so here's the theory. Is that in one way of reckoning, Nisan 14, counted from sunrise to sunrise, is going to be different from Nisan 14, reckoned from sunset to sunset. With about a 12-hour overlap where they... They're going to mesh, but nevertheless, uh, there are going to be some who are observing it on a sunrise to sunrise basis who will be um, slaughtering the, the animals between three and five in the afternoon on one day because for them, it's already Nissan 14. It was Nissan 14 at, at sunrise. And so that afternoon, they slaughter the, the lambs and they have their dinner that night. But for others that are following the sundown to sundown calendar, it's not Nissan 14 yet. Not until sundown of, of that Thursday night. And so they are not going to slaughter the Passover lambs until the following afternoon where they will eat it that night. So generally it is thought that it was reckoned from sunset to sunset uh, in Jesus' day. Yet Josephus, he was a Pharisee living in Jesus' day. In explaining the law of the Passover, states that the Paschal lamb must be eaten during the night with nothing left for the morning. And of course, that agrees with Exodus chapter 12. And so this seems to indicate that a sunrise to sunrise reckoning. If nothing can be left till morning, then it looks like morning is a significant deadline for what qualifies as the next day. The Mishnah states that Passover lamb must be eaten by midnight, which would seem to indicate that the new day began after sunset, namely at sunrise. Now, it is thought by several... Since there were two systems of reckoning the day present in Jesus' day, this could be a solution to the disagreement between the synoptics and John. It is thought that the Galileans used a different method of reckoning the Passover than the Judeans. The Galileans and Pharisees used the sunrise to sunrise reckoning, whereas the Judeans and Sadducees used the sunset to sunset reckoning. Thus, according to the synoptics, and you can, in the footnote here, he'll give you all the authors that, that put this forth. Thus, according to the synoptics, the Last Supper was a Passover meal. They're true. Uh, since the day is to be reckoned from sunrise, the Galileans, and with them Jesus and his disciples, had the Paschal lamb slaughtered in the late afternoon of Thursday, Nisan 14, and later that evening they ate the Passover with the unleavened bread. On the other hand, the Judean Jews, who reckoned from sunset to sunset, would slay the lamb on Friday afternoon, which marked the end of Nisan 14. Follow that. Marked the end of Nisan 14 as sunset was approaching and ate the Passover lamb with the unleavened bread that night, which had become Nisan 15 the moment the sun went down. Thus, Jesus consumed the Passover meal when his enemies, who had not as yet had Passover, arrested him. And this makes sense. This is a solution. And it is a sensical solution. This gives good sense to John 18:28 that the Jews did not want to enter the praetorium so as not to be defiled since later that day they would be slaying the victims um, for those who reckoned from sunset to sunset. After Jesus' trial, he was crucified when the paschal lambs were slain in the temple precincts. This fits well with the Gospel of John and it can be charted as shown on page 261. Unfortunately, in my Logos reference, I don't have that chart on page 261. That's one reason why I'd want to buy another hard copy of the book. All right. This solution would mean that there were actually two days of slaughter. This would solve the problem of having to slaughter all of the lambs for all of those participants in the Passover season. And, of course, there are difficulties and problems with this, and he discusses why and what the, uh, the main objections are. Would the Sadducees have allowed this since they were in control of the temple? Now, it's possible that they had to. It's known that with the popular support the Pharisees had, uh, 
The Pharisees even controlled the dates of the festivals. The Sadducees might say, hey, I see a new moon. This is the new month. And the Pharisees would say, nope, not until tomorrow. Okay. And the Pharisees, when they had dominance over the Sanhedrin, when they had dominance, they controlled the dates of the great festivals. That's another thing, too, is if it's too cloudy and you can't see the new moon, then um, sometimes there's some guesswork involved on determining uh, what is the first new moon after the spring equinox. All right. Another problem with theory is that there is no explicit statement to support the theory. We would love it if we had Josephus or Philo or somebody explain to us that Galileans measured from one day and, and went in one way and, and Judeans measured in another way. We don't know that for a fact. We have no documentation. Right now it's still a theory. It's a theory and it's, it makes sense and it does harmonize the gospel records. Um, but we do not have uh, Jewish or Roman or any other written sources that invalidate that, yes, this was, in fact, the, uh, the nature of it. All right. And so based on that, if you accept that it's a Friday uh, crucifixion, and if you accept the fact that Friday is Nisan 15, then you've got the opportunity to go back and, harm and figure out which years does that work. And you end up with 2880, 3080, 3280, 3380. Uh, you've got your possible uh, you know, potential years for, uh, for the death of Christ within the range of what's even remotely possible uh, based on the, the reigns of Herod and the reigns of Pontius Pilate and things of that nature. So Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD is, is, is perfectly acceptable. And uh, in my mind, in Honer's mind, it is the, the precise date. All right, I'm two, I'm two minutes long. Are there any questions, anything that can't wait till tonight? Otherwise, we can hold off our questions till this evening. No? All right. Well, I'm sorry for going two minutes long, but I, I didn't want to leave that for next week. So uh, let's close in prayer. And then uh, also, Doug, I forgot to mention we could have a, a technician guy coming in. All right. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for uh, men like Harold Honer, Father. Um, He's with you now, Father. He went to be with you last year. Um, I just thank you that though he's in glory, uh, reaping his rewards, Father, he's still bearing fruit. And, uh, and I thank you for that, for the work that he accomplished here on this earth and the blessings that he is to me in his writings and to this congregation, Father. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.